0: She not- Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast diving deep into the Oscar year that was 2003! Uh, Every week on this Head of Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we're here to perform the autopsy. We are kicking off a month-long autopsy, once again on the year 2003. We'll get into that in a minute, but for now, I am your host, Chris File, and I am here, as always, with the return of my king,
1: Joe Reed. There may come a day when the Oscar buzz of December fails, but it is not this day. You know. That's what I remember from Return of the King. I fundamentally don't know where
0: that line is in that movie. He's on a horse. He's
1: rousing his troops. He's, you know.
0: Okay, so I think. For Frodo. This is going to be a long month for some of our listeners, and I may not win some Wow, we're because... really selling it. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm selling this specifically. I always have to have a preamble for everything because okay. I am going to probably upset some of our listeners in saying that I am a noted, like, Lord of the Rings. Dissenter. I do not like those movies. And like we're talking about the year. Am I right
1: you guys? This guy right here. Yep
0: yep burn me down. Um cancel me electric chair. Um so I I, like this whole year was a tiny bit of a bummer and like of course like all of the things we'll be talking about are kind of contextualized with we always knew that Return of the King was going to be the big Best Picture winner this year um And, like, I think Return of the King is fine. I think those movies progressively get better, but, like, I'll try to measure my talk of how much I
1: don't like those movies over our next four episodes. I love them. And I'm glad it feels like, present company excluded, it feels like those movies are getting a little bit of a rebound because there was definitely fatigue that set in, especially in the few years after Return of the King where I think even the people who were really excited about it sometimes people who get really excited about movies in that way start to feel sort of abashed by it later on and they and there's a you know that's part of what backlash is for a lot of right. people is just sort of like they abandon that thing I think Hamilton backlash was a lot of that where like a lot of people who fancied themselves very kind of discerning and um critical went over the moon for Hamilton and then felt like they needed to get their cred back, so they decided to, you know, cool off on especially Hamilton, especially cool on Hamilton. And in some ways, I get it, but in other ways, it disgusts me. So your <laughs> your your pure your pure dislike for Return of for Lord of the Rings. I can take a little bit better. Um, Absolutely, but I'm glad it feels like we're we're we are as a culture coming back around on the Lord of the Rings movies, and uh, maybe part of that is because Amazon is marshaling up their forces to do uh, <sighs> to remake them essentially, and and so now loving the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings movies feels like a artistically defensible. You know what I mean? Like you're defending the art. Yeah, the yeah, world. yeah. Um. But my contention is these movies were always good. Return of the King is interesting to me. It's the one I revisit the least because... for Because you
0: don't have the damn time to do it?
1: (laughs) Part of that. But, like, I don't watch the entirety of Fellowship or Two Towers either. I'll, like, dip in and out of those movies and watch, like, a little bit. They're on TNT every third weekend, so I'll just sort of, like, catch them when they're on. But I find myself dipping into those two even more for whatever reason. Those highlights... I prefer to other highlights for whatever reason. I'm like the big 2 towers. I remember even at the time people were just like 2 towers classic middle installment syndrome where which it's quaint to think of middle installments now. Like there's no such thing as a second movie being the middle of something. Like only three movies? Like why would you do that? Um so but even at the time people sort of dinged the 2 towers for not really having a you know true beginning or a true end, but like so much. I love that movie so much. And I think it's such a great spectacle and has such, you know, great moments. And it introduces Miranda Otto's character, which I think is, I mean, not to get, this is not a return of the King podcast, but I'm just saying, (laughs) um, the culture's coming back around on Lord of the Rings I think so that's But
0: I, we wanted to do this little like preamble episode to our first mini series once again on 2003 um to just kind of like set some groundwork and the reason why I kind of like led us with Return of the King is I think for a lot of at least generalized movie fans and a lot of Oscar watchers like this year is defined by Return of the King for them um yeah. and certainly I think if you're looking at it in a generalized sense, the Oscar narrative is also defined by Return of the King. Um, so, but what about? I figured we could talk a little bit how the year was defined for the both of us because I definitely have a certain Oscar in on this year personally dear, for me.
1: Dear listener, this is how you discover the true trickery of Christopher File. Is he has put in this portion of the episode to talk about what we were doing in 2003 just to underline how very much older than him I am and truly... That was not
0: my intention. A
1: wicked act from a wicked man because here is where I have to admit that I was a full year out of college when 2003 meandered around. So what I was doing in 2003 was I had a very sort of I I was going through an early life crisis right after college, and I was very aimless. And I essentially was cooling my heels for a year and a half, let's say. And so for the first half of 2003, I was still sort of like bopping around, not really like doing the post-college thing that everybody else does, which is like finding their career. So, And then halfway through 2003, I got my first sort of like real post-college job which was as a I forget what my actual title was but it was essentially an assistant at this very small book publisher still in Buffalo still you know hadn't hadn't left the nest yet wouldn't for a while um, but was working at this book publisher at a job that I ultimately did not love did not care for but I remember because of that I kind of huddled with the pop culture of 2003 and sort of held it close to me in a way that like i wouldn't for other years whereas like 2002 the oscar sorry i'm just gonna monologue for a while if you don't mind do it just like take a break go have a bathroom like break whatever it's fine i'm here um, in the
0: background i am like i don't know i'm the Alexander Spla. i am like doing some type of cello or something ask I- questions for you, you.
1: Ask questions as you see fit, and I will give you the same courtesy in a monologue when you're ready. Um, gather round, children. I'm going to tell you the story of Old Man Reed's life. No, so Oscar season 2002 as my ice in my beverage. Crinkles. It's fine. You know it's a listening experience. That's my it's,
0: it's, that's my street music instrument. I told you it's I'm our, underscoring you.
1: It's our ASMR as I'm just like, ice coffee, <laughs> ice coffee. <laughs> uh, <laughs> ice coffee, cold so two, mountain. <laughs> that was the that was the uh swedish title um <laughs> wow we could really pull that off though couldn't we <laughs> but oscar asmr vadim Perelman. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh not him he is a sexual assaulter wait is that true yes it is he has been accused of sexual assault that's why he Ugh. does not have a career
1: well, also because he made two terrible movies.
0: Oh, uh, um, House of Sand and Fog is good. I like, well, I mean, I shouldn't be mm-hmm. defending him and his movie, but like, he has nothing to do with why that movie is good.
1: Well, okay, but the Uma Thurman movie is really bad. The Uma Thurman Columbine, Secret Columbine, <laughs> which <laughs> doesn't get enough credit for being along with, *I'll*, uh, I, uh, wait, Remember Me. Remember yes, Me, I the was Secret 9 11 movie. It's Those the two remember movies. Remember Me Cinematic Universe. Yeah, those two movies should be talked about in the same breath more often. Because that Uma Thurman Sneak movie is like, surprise, tragedy. it was Columbine all along. Right. So, yes. Um, where were we? Oscar season 2002. So I'm still working at the my old college library, which was my sort of like carryover job after school. Or after college ended. And I, I, my shift wouldn't start until like 4 p.m. So what I would do every day is I would... Not every day, but like... Often I would go to the art house movie theater, which was by my college, and I would see the noon movie or whatever, the one o'clock movie, and then go to work right after. And so that was, that year was like all of the Oscar movies of 2002. And the Oscar movies of 2002, even the ones that like didn't, like, it was both, you know, buzzy titles that didn't make it and the ones that did, all of them I loved. So it was The Hours, it was White Oleander, it was um, Far From Heaven. Gangs of New York, all of, just like that whole Oscar season. No, Gangs of New York, I saw at the multiplex because that was a big wide release. Pianist, though, all of it. So I have these really sort of fond memories of kind of huddling at my job there and following that Oscar season. And so, then 2003, I'm working at this book publisher, and I'm like obsessively listening to my like MTV radio on my headphones. And so, Chris and I are going to make a playlist for you at some point. Some point during this miniseries, we'll we'll. Um, put up on our I'm a
0: master playlist maker
1: yes we'll put up on our our uh, twitter feed a link to our spotify list that we're going to make of 2003 songs because we're both sort of like brimming over with 2003 memories at this point but so also i cl- remember clinging very much to following the oscar buzz of 2003 and i i can't remember much about like other sort of like pop culture at the time that I tied into it because I, for whatever reason, like siloed it all off where like the music and the movies, I remember both because those were the ones I was paying attention to at work. But like TV, I guess I'm trying. I, I know The Apprentice premiered while I was at this job and I was at this job for less than a year. So like it was mid 2003 to early 2004. I was at this job. So like during this time, I remember the Britney, Madonna, Christina kiss at the VMAs was during that time period. I remember Lost wait. Was Lost a thing yet? No, it no. wasn't. No. Alias was still on. Alias I remember being very into at that time. It was like later seasons Alias. Um the Apprentice premiered in January of 04. So like during that like, you know, window. But mostly it was the movies of this year. And I remember it being a lot of just hugely buzzy titles that for the most part didn't pan out cold mountain 21 grams house of sand and fog as we mentioned um all these movies that we're going to get into as we list down are, you know the the films of 2003 that we're going to set the table for you but so that's where i was sort of culturally speaking was clinging to this oscar conversation so i remember following it very closely so you chris i imagine yes. we're in Pre K or whatever the fuck. So, uh, excuse
0: me. I was in high school. Mm-hmm. I do believe that this Oscar season, I was
1: a. I graduated. Yeah,
0: I would have been a junior in high school. Uh-huh. Um, so the most I mean, difficult you year,
1: famously, you of high school. You
0: contextualize this, and I think this is really crucial, especially for the type of conversation we'll be having over our episodes. You kind of contextualize it in the 2002 Oscar race because I think a lot of the fallout of that and not just because the Lord of the Rings was like a slow motion Oscar journey because of these three films. um, We get it. It was long. We get it. Um, But like 2002, I think was the year that I was radicalized as an Oscar watcher. It's a good year for
1: radicalization because it was a very concentrated Oscar year because it was all December
0: and it was just like a lot of like a lot of the things we were talking about like as oscar watchers all kind of like crystallized in that year and they were all happening at once um a lot
1: of miramax a lot of december the Um, hours
0: still like lose large like i think the hours has so much to do with like miramax's trajectory in 2000 the idea of
1: actresses uh Glamming themselves for for awards. That was mm-hmm. you know with Nicole that year, and I'm trying to think if there was like major category fraud issues in the supporting. Well, yeah, because Catherine Zeta Jones wins supporting actress for a co lead, so mm-hmm. yeah.
0: So that was one, like, uh, the other thing aside from outing myself as someone who does not like Lord of the Rings, uh, I will probably be outing myself as a Cold Mountain
1: Stan. In oh, these I thought episodes. you were going to say you didn't like Chicago, and I was going to flip out on you. No, I just recently rewatched Chicago. Chicago's still so great. Um, I love it. I love it. People I, were, I, that was a very divisive movie, though, at the time, I remember. Where, like, there were a lot of people, especially because. The movie musical hadn't really come this was like the comeback of the movie musical. And I remember a lot of people, and a lot of them were straight people, and like, you know, we we expect this of them, but like truly, who were very much like, Oh god, do I gotta sit through a whole bunch why are they singing and dancing? It's all so stupid, yada yada yada. Yeah. And like um But Chicago was, and then you had the other side, which was the musical theater purists, who were just like, Renee Zellweger can't dance. That's the point. Roxy Hart should not be able to dance or sing. Um, But there was a lot of that, of just sort of like these Hollywood types shining up what should be, you know. every, Every time there's a movie musical, there's this set of people who are just like... Cast like who's like the music like cast Kelly O'Hara or whatever in this and just like and it's just like they're not gonna cast Broadway people. You know who would if
0: they did musicals. HBO HBO needs to do a musical. This is your best idea. Niche. This is
1: your best idea. Um, But like they're not gonna cast the Wicked musical with theater talent because you don't make a Wicked movie and not cast movie stars in it. Like saying not the Wicked movie.
0: Should be Cynthia Erivo and Ariana Grande as Glinda. That's my call.
1: We all agree that Ariana Grande should be Glinda. I know she sang the alphabet song on TV, but yeah, Ariana Grande She's really is funny. She's is, funny. Is, is irritating and untrustworthy in a way that Glinda in that musical is. So yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. but.
0: Back to 2003. 2003, for me, was all about, like, the lead-up. And maybe this was because I was a petulant teenager who was also radicalized by the hours. It was all about the lead-up to (laughs) Cold Mountain in a way that everybody else was having the lead-up to, The Return of the King. So maybe I was partly being contrarian, but, like, a lot of this year is also kind of defined, like, Cold Mountain was always looming large as the big one towards the end of the year. Partly because it was Miramax's big movie, Um, and it was Anthony Mangella coming off of uh, it was his follow up to uh, the English Patient, and I'm
1: sorry that I'm giggling at this, but like I just like the idea of you like telling your little school friends, just like my Aragorn is Ada Monroe, like oh I mean like I didn't really have a ton of friends in high school, no, but but I I just mean just like you like throwing this posture of just like. Charles Frazier is the real literary legend.
0: Yeah, I know. Tolkien,
1: electric chair. Um... <laughs> Boy, oh, did you invent electric chair all no, those many I did years not. ago? I did not, but perhaps I should have. The poster um... for Cold Mountain. I know I'm very much the poster person. That's because I tend to flip around IMDb while we're talking about these things just to make sure that I don't sound too stupid. But the poster for Cold Mountain, and I think this was the poster at the time, which was this sort of just like like shades of blue thing with the you know the poster well, where it looks so the like the book
0: was like that the book was just like shades of blue cascading hills but
1: this is if you took the cover remember the style of poster when still maybe happens now where it looks Floating like heads, the yeah. middle right but it looks like the middle part of the poster horizontal wise you like ripped a page off of something yes. and this was what was underneath Yes. Do you know what I mean? And just sort of, it's the like rough hewn, and it's just like, oh, look, look what was lurking behind the under your cover the whole time, is the very intense faces of Jude Law, Nicole Kidman, and Renee Zellweger. And like Zellweger's in character, she's got her little like ruby hat on or whatever, but Kidman has like the most intense smoky eye look that she never has in the movie. And her hair is very much just, like, whipping across her face. And she's got the really, like, bold, intense lip. Now, of course, like, they're all washed out in this, like, amber hue or whatever because it's wartime or something like that. But she looks so intense. She looks very, very, like... Gorgeous Next and top intense. model challenge like like uh, like face photo challenge you know what I mean like almost as if it's a response to the finger quotes
0: the glamming of the hours
1: maybe yeah where she's just like I'll show you I'll show you glam yeah. And, yeah. but it looks like she should be having like a remember that top model challenge where they all had the tarantula like on their face and hand or whatever but they were looking very intensely into the camera like yeah, that's that
0: what the Eva one I, that's like yeah, legendary of course um, but
1: like that's the look that Nicole is giving me and Jude Law Is like trying to match it. Well, and then Renee
0: Zellweger, the expression she has is just like any one of us walking by this poster and seeing
1: it and being like Right, "Mm." regarding it suspiciously. "Mm." Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But yeah, like they they say they say this war is a plague on the what? Like that's her, like you know, walking past, just like (laughs) <laughs> anyway, anyway Cold I Mountain. was
0: very, very uh, stoked for Cold Mountain coming. Yeah. up. like I think culturally, me in two thousand three, I was at the center. I we made this. I made this joke to you earlier. I was at the center of the Venn diagram of Cold Mountain and Jason Mraz's The Remedy, <laughs> which fully came out that year. Um, yeah, I remember. If Again, you need to know MTV the Radio. type of teenager I was, I was a Jason Mraz Cold Mountain one. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm rewatching a bunch of stuff that we're not even like talking about and like catching up to some blind spots and I'm going to rewatch cold mountain to see if I can really stand by it. But like, I was almost performatively like, why are people disappointed in this movie? And it was like, Oh, my first youthful Oscar outrage that it was not a best picture nominee
1: all 155 minutes of it, and you're just like, I don't understand why people don't like it. I'm like, this is great. <laughs> this, um, is the, this is the perfect family Christmas movie that we should all go and see. I know. N-
0: let me tell you, my sister and I, I remember we tried to see it on opening day. My sister tried to take me, and she was in college at the point. Yeah. And, like, they wouldn't let us in because I wasn't 17 years old yet. And, like, wow, we were furious.
1: Listen, only full adults should be able to see Philip Seymour Hoffman in his union suit in that movie, is all I'm going to say. Let me um, tell you. I mean, I, I was so. It. But so, Cold Mountain's a good uh, entry point into this because we wanted to do this table-setting episode both to sort of lay out the idea of this miniseries and what we're going to do in this miniseries. But we also wanted to talk about cuz we're going essentially it's going to be four episodes on four different movies so we're we're not going to double anything up and should we say what movies we're doing now? Yeah, just we can
0: like... reestablish. Uh, it would have already been on our Twitter feed, but like just to say it again, our first yeah. episode is going to be on the missing. On the then missing, we're going to follow Blanchett it up western. Yes, yes. Then it's the Sylvia Plath biopic with uh, Gwyneth Paltrow called Sylvia. Naturally, then we're doing the Human Stain, also with Nicole Kidman and um, Anthony Hopkins. And Indeed. then the fourth one, which we don't know the answer yet as of recording, you guys are picking our episode. The options will be um, In the Cut, The Company, The Station Agent, and Shattered Glass. The episode will have already been picked by you guys, so feel free to use this opportunity to complain that your favorite was not picked.
1: Yeah, so we're we're trying to cast the future a little bit because we're recording this, obviously, a few weeks ahead of time. But so when we talk about 2003, there's certain movies that because of our parameters here at this head oscar buzz we can't really do episodes on but it still f- contribute to the narrative of 2003 which to me is big buzzy oscar bait movies that did not reach their expectations and Cold Mountain is the chief of one of them because Cold Mountain was the front runner that whole year. Up until Oscar nomination morning, it was still expected to be if Lord of the Rings was the front runner, it was supposed to be the like Miramax stalking horse that was going to, you know, if Harvey Weinstein was going to meddle into this race and ruin things for New Line and for Lord of the Rings, that would be the movie that they were going to do it with. And even though the reception to that movie was chilly, not to, you know, no pun intended, or. Or that, you know, reviews weren't fully there and there was, there was a sense of sort of grim obligation to Cold Mountain, both in seeing it and in talking about its Oscar chances, but that was still the case and then Oscar nomination happened, nomination warning happened and got snubbed in picture, director, actress, so Kidman, the defending best actress winner, did not get the follow-up nomination. I can't remember whether it got an adapted screenplay nomination or not, but I think maybe not. Chris, um, I right, actually do love.
0: believe that it did. I will did. double check, but I think it did.
1: The only area in which this movie overachieved was famously the best original song category, where it got a surprise two nominations for Scarlet Tide and You Will Be My Ain True Love. Obviously, we can't think of the music of 2003. Without, and without You Will Be
0: My Ain't True you Love. You Will Be My
1: Ain't True Love. So that's, that is going to be actually going on the, the playlist that we make. Don't worry.
0: Um, uh, it was but, actually, I was wrong, it was not nominated for I Adaptive so.
1: Screenplay, so it's like, if you don't have, this is kind of like... Jude Law and Renee Zellweger made it to the acting nominations, but that was about it, and obviously Renee ends up winning for Best Supporting Actress in a very contentious win. Like, a lot of people feel like that's a legitimately terrible performance. I think it is a over-the-top, big, hammy, schlocky performance that I am nonetheless very grateful for in that movie because it is at least a sh- spark of life in a long and to me sloggy movie but you may disagree chris
0: uh i mean i disagree with the people that think that it's a horrible performance like i think i think a lot of the judgment when people say that is a judgment on the character um but yeah That's again
1: fair. i will rewatch it and have more sober thoughts on cold mountain i will watch the they say this war is a plague on the land, but they're the ones... Wait, what's the line?
0: Every piece of this is man's bullshit. They call this war a cloud over the land, but they made the weather, and then they stand in the rain and say, Shit, it's raining!
1: They say this war is a plague But they made upon...
0: the war, and then they, they stand made... in the rain and they say, Well, and say, shit, it's, shit raining. it's raining! They made yeah. the weather.
1: They made the weather, that's I what it is. I used
0: to know that whole damn thing. I, uh. I, You know, my teenage self is furious. It's just very like, God damn it, I can't
1: believe you missed that quote. Yeah, they made the um,
0: weather, and then they stand outside in the rain and say, shit, it's raining. And they say, shit, it's raining. If I, um, if I yeah. shed a tear for my daddy, I stole it from a crocodile.
1: Stole it from a crocodile. Um, yes. There's a lot of it. She's very quotable in that movie. I will say, the fact that no... <laughs> I know you can't do characters on Snatch Game, but like if anybody ever did Renee Zellweger and just played her as Ruby from Cold Mountain... Two yeah. people would get it. I would be one of them and I would be like, "When she gets the win." Like, <laughs> I don't care. That's you could what do red carpet Brooklyn carpet Heights Zellweger.
0: Like, she has a certain brand of awkwardness that people were always so mean about and I loved so much. I was like, "She's just trying to be nice, but she really doesn't like this attention."
1: The moment at the Oscars when they brought the Chicago cast back and she geared like <laughs> Fully refuses to, to read, to the, read winner, the answer, and she runs away from that like it's made of fucking kryptonite. Is so funny to me because like the meme, of course, was just like Renee Zellweger can't read, and you look at it and it's just like, well, that's what it looks like to me. Like I can't argue with that interpretation because like, well, and then people
0: would... were saying they were drunk. People are so like, I really hope that Judy makes. People shut up this year. Like, I just would like. Oh, I thought you meant
1: Judy Dench's Old Deuteronomy and cats Sorry. You mean Judy the Movie. Yes. Okay.
0: (laughs) Old Deuteronomy. How dare you?
1: (laughs) No, because then it makes it sound like you're making fun of Old Deuteronomy for being Jewish because he's from the Old Testament. And really, don't do that because that's wrong. Old
0: Judy (laughs) Deuteronomy.
1: And that just sounds like you're stuttering, but it's fine. We'll figure out. We'll figure out. Old Dench (laughs) Deuteronomy. Old Dench Deuteronomy. Uh, it's all imperfect, but you know what? So will Tom Hooper's Cats be. So it's fine. So Cold Mountain, one of the movies that we can't really talk about because it was a multiple Oscar nominee and a winner, obviously. So it's like, can't do this had Oscar Buzz Cold Mountain. But Cold Mountain is in many ways what we're talking about on this podcast, which is mm-hmm. high expectations, you know, big, underwhelming release. And, and, and like, that's honestly, what the
0: movie's remembered for now, is like, it's
1: Oscar. Right. Finger quotes failure, even
0: though it had eight nominations.
1: Right. So the other front runners that we can't really talk about. Last Samurai, which is the Tom Cruise movie where he goes to Japan and, and saves the samurai from themselves or something, White Savior, yada yada, directed by Edward Zwick, our fave Edward Zwick, who we keep coming back to and we'll probably come back to again. Although Zwick is one of those interesting ones where he always gets one or two nominations that keep him away from our clutches more often. We can't really do defiance cause it got a score nomination. We can't really do, um, legends of the fall because it got, uh, cinematography, uh, cinematography. and score. I want to say like there was, there's, you know, he, he escapes our clutches as often as he doesn't. So that's fine, but can't use Last samurai because Ken Watanabe gets a, I would say very well-deserved, supporting actor nomination. I think he's very good in that movie in service of something that's crappy, but he's still quite good. Um House of Sand and Fog, as we mentioned, is a nominee is a nominee for both Ben Kingsley and Shori Agudashilu, but what it was intended for as an Oscar Buzz sort of on in Oscar Buzz terms, it was supposed to be Jennifer Connolly's big follow-up to her win for a Beautiful Mind. This was she was supposed to level up to Best Actress in this. Mm-hmm. She, was a, she was supposed to be a major contender. I remember at the beginning of the season, was there not a cover of EW or something where it was Jennifer Connelly, Naomi Watts, and Nicole Kidman as like, yes for their Oscar issue? Yes, and I'm just like, wow, ironic because like, there's always the there was always the EW fall movie preview,
0: and then there was the holiday preview,
1: right. Is that what it was? Which, okay. like, yeah.
0: essentially served as a, this is where these movies stand in the Oscar race type. of Right. It was a couple mi- couple months
1: later, and they were yes, they were going to refine their their Oscar preview. Yes, but yeah, so there was that was that was supposed to be the front runner trio, and of course, two of those don't end up getting best actress nominations, and Naomi Watts gets one, but there's a sense of she just made the cut kind of a thing mm-hmm. when she gets nominated for. Uh, 21 Grams, but so as very, Jennifer Connelly, like, sorry, what were you going to say? I
0: was going to say it's a very interesting Best Actress year because it's like you have the two front runners and then the other three were kind of surprise nominations. Naomi Watts maybe less because my memory is that she had like SAG and Golden Globes on her side, but like you also have Keisha Castle-Hughes and Samantha Morton, like kind of happy to be there. Yeah. Um, like even a both of, of them were even uh, campaigned in supporting too, and they made it up yes. into lead because like all the air season, was sucked by Charlize Theron and Diane
1: Keaton. And there was a lot of talk that season about: Is Evan Rachel Wood going to get nominated for Thirteen? Is Uma Thurman going to get nominated for Kill Bill? So that category was in flux in a very sort of like it, it you know, it veered wildly throughout the season, but ultimately. As a Jennifer Connolly vehicle, House of Sand and Fog ends up being a failure. And obviously, like, it did not hit big enough for a best picture consideration at all. So it's just the grimmest. It's super she's grim. Right. Like, I, lo- it's... I love the Shori Agadashly nomination because I think she's actually great in it. And Kingsley's very good. Like, yeah. I can't argue with that Kingsley nomination. It does seem like that <laughs> the fact that Best Actor accommodated both Jude Law and Ben Kingsley as, like, these refugees of. Bad They're, buzz yeah. Oscar contenders f- makes best actor that year feel thin. And what it was was best actor was extremely top heavy, where the only people who were getting talked about were Sean Penn in Mystic River, Bill Murray in Lost in Translation, and then insurgent Johnny Depp in Parts of the Caribbean. And they got all the ink, mm-hmm. and there was nothing left available for anybody else. So I think Oscar voters just sort of defaulted to. Well, who were we talking about six months ago? We were talking about Jude Law and Ben Kingsley, both of which are great performances. I don't think either one of them is, you know, a bad nomination. But it does feel like they were sort of default choices to fill out the category.
0: (laughs) There's even movies that, like incredibly benefited from like this domino effect we're talking about of these expectations not being met and why like this is such a like pinnacle year of that and why we're doing this miniseries like Master and Commander which I just rewatched I love is like that was basically considered an also ran until like things were ramping up like it was successful with BAFTA it was like it was the one that stuck around even though box office wise it was considered a disappointment at that part and it's like it had its fans but it was also an incredibly dry period picture it's also Um, the
1: kind of movie that is going to seem like less of a contender than it is during the Golden Globes SAG portion of the season because Absolutely. the Golden Globes and SAG only only recognize uh, actors essentially. Golden Globes also has screenplay and director and whatever. But like Master and Commander's Great Strength as an awards movie was all of the tech categories because it was a hugely technically proficient movie. And it and wins the categories that Lord of the Rings was snubbed of a nomination. Right. Yes. Lord of the Rings sweeps the the Oscars but it only sweeps on 11 only 11 nominations. You know. Right. But (laughs) then you also have Seabiscuit
0: which totally just like was another one that just stuck around and could have just as easily been like an episode we could have had on this podcast but it just got like 7 nominations because there were so... It's like it's the end of the food chain where something can like level up because so many things disappoint. It was
1: the only pre fall movie to make a dent in the best picture race. So I want to just round this out though, because I mentioned the four movies that we, you know, that did get Oscar nominations, but were still disappointments. Fourth one of those is big fish, which is the Tim Burton movie, which mm-hmm. our friends at, at uh, blank check have covered this at this point, uh, several weeks ago. Um, but like the story of that movie was very much supposed to be not a maybe a coronation for tim burton at this point like it was supposed to be kind of the apex of tim burton's career where everything yes. about him was leading up to this movie that you know weirdly kind of feels like a commentary on his own sort of life and career this you know person who always preferred to tell these odd oddball and and fabulous sort of stories. And it seemed like it was
0: close enough to the Academy's wheelhouse and still with a foot Albert inside Finney, his own.
1: Right, Albert Finney, Ewan McGregor, who has to date still never gotten an Oscar nomination, but still feels oscar He was obviously the star of Moulin Rouge. Um, and that movie doesn't happen. And it's not... Pigfish is very interesting because that is the movie that got killed, not by bad reviews, but by... Sort of nonplussed reviews where people didn't quite know how to take it. And people weren't, I think people were expecting to be wrapped up in this like big high emotion that ultimately they never quite felt. Right, and I think
0: a lot of the potential Oscar narrative kind of relied on the potential for that to happen. They needed to Um, have
1: grown men weeping walking out of that theater, and it didn't happen. Yeah, and
0: I think they also had a bad release date. It was like, I think that, let me look this up, but my memory serves that it was either Christmas
1: limited or like New Year's Eve limited. Oh, I know it was very, very, very late in the season. I know that. Because I remember as you're following the season, people were like, don't worry, Big Fish is still coming. Like, all these other movies, these, you know, September, October, November movies were sort of flopping. And, you know, Big Fish was still the one coming at the end of the year being like, don't worry, it's gonna happen. It didn't go
0: wide until January 9th, but it opened early December. But still, w- like uh, with Lord of the Rings and everything happening, that's a perfect time for that movie to just yeah. flat out die.
1: Yeah. So I wanna use that to sort of transition into my little artifact that I wanna talk about because uh one of the big indicators of Big Fish being an Oscar contender was Entertainment Weekly flat out told us so. In their in their fall movie preview, they mentioned that like they had the little like when they give the the sort of tail of the tape of like directors and, and Who's who's the star, who the stars are, when it's getting released. And then they had a little thing at the end, was just like, what's at stake? And what's at stake for Big Fish was they were literally just like, Oscars. Like, is this movie, you know, what kind of Oscars is this movie going to get? So, like, that was the expectation. So I managed to track down, I went on Amazon and I tracked down the actual 2003 Entertainment Weekly fall preview, which I fully remember Russell Crowe's big, sort of bewigged mug on the on the front of it, in his Master and Commander drag. Oh, and
0: he got he got the fall movie preview slot.
1: Yeah, oh yeah. Lord of the Rings, uh, by the time they weren't going to do another Lord of the Rings cover, I feel like. And well,
0: that was also pre-Harry Potter Twilight, so it's like, yeah. were they really selling magazines off of...
1: They were selling magazines to adults and not children at this point. So, right. Yes, yes. So, Russell Crowe's on the cover, but so, of course... The, Great thing about the Entertainment Weekly Fall Preview issue, and we've talked about this many times on this podcast before, but like that was in many ways the Bible that got distributed at the beginning of the Oscar season that sort of told you what your contenders were going to be. Before everybody was plugged in 12 months out of the year, all year, and getting like, you know, real time updates as to Oscar futures. Vulture, you know, there was no Vulture, there was no. Um, there was Oscar Watch at the time, which was Sasha Stone's site, and there was uh, the Film Experience, our friend Nathaniel's site, was cover Gold were cover- Derby, Gold Derby, right. So there definitely were websites, but there were not like mainstream publications that were covering the Oscars all the time. So if you wanted to have twenty four seven. 365 days a year Oscar coverage you had to really seek it out and so if you weren't seeking it out Entertainment Weekly was going to be the one to bring it to you and put it in your mailbox so at this point fall preview issue I get it first of all I just need to like this is not going to be an unboxing video but like the experience of this issue coming into my uh, mailbox and like It's in the padded envelope, but I take it out and there is heft to it. Now, if you felt an Entertainment Weekly physical issue at any point recently... uh,
0: It's a wafer-thin, girl. It's
1: wafer-thin. Like, the pages are thin. The, like, just... Everything about it feels slight. And
0: so... Yeah, and the fall movie preview was like... like a vogue September issue for movie nerds, basically.
1: Right. Exactly. It's like it had
0: thick pages. They were glossy. Yeah. Sometimes it was the first time you were seeing like a still from any of these movies.
1: Yeah. Another big reason why this was so hefty as I, as I found out is in the middle of it, there's a big sort of thick cardstock advertisement for HBO's Carnival. Which was premiering on September fourth of that year, that is included a, a it's a it's shaped like a a ticket that you would uh use for admission into a carnival, like those old timey tickets that you would get off of like, you know, a wheel of tickets. But it's a disc that if you put it in, it says place C D ROM in center of computer C. <laughs> so like it's an old C D-ROM that like but Does it's it shaped even like still a play? square. I don't know. When was the last time you had a CD-ROM? Like, a CD-ROM with a tray. Like, you know what I mean? I can't even use my little uh, portable DVD drive because, you know, it's the thing where you feed it and it, like, you know, gobbles Mm -hmm. up your DVD. So I don't have... I don't know where I would even try to watch this. But HBO's Carnival helped to... helped contribute to the sort of thickness of this issue. But otherwise, it's still, like... It is a very hefty and substantial... Magazine issue. And what it was, I went through it and I sort of, you know, reminded myself of the rundown of like what the fall 2003 was supposed to be because taking its lead from 2002, it is a very backloaded year where they mentioned Dave Carger's Oscar column within this, which we'll get to in a second, mentions how like the first two thirds of the movie year essentially produced Seabiscuit and Finding Nemo as. Oscar contenders and nothing else, and finding Nemo was a contender in you know animated feature, maybe screenplay, but like nothing else, because we weren't at the point yet where animated movies were best picture contenders again, not you know not since Beauty and the Beast, and not wouldn't be until the you know great Wall-E controversy of two thousand eight but so it was Seabiscuit essentially, and everything else was coming in the fall, so I went through and I sort of jotted down all of the major movies that were. As you know, as far as EW was concerned, major contenders. First of them being the Human Stain, and we'll talk about the Human Stain in a couple of weeks because that's going to be one of our episodes for 2003. So I don't want to get into it too much, but like EW led their fall preview issue with the Human Stain and made explicit reference to its Oscar hopes, which t- at this point in time feels hysterical. Banana feels very very funny. That that you know, just oh my god. And I don't. We'll get into it. I don't want to get. I don't want to like blow our wad on the human stain. But like, <laughs> blow our wad on the human stain. Gross, Joe. Gross. Damn. So- <laughs> Calm down.
0: Jesus. Why are there not background noises of like the cops <laughs>
1: right now coming to get you? <laughs> yeah. Throw me in jail. Okay. So Mystic River, which ended up you know succeeding. Yep. Intolerable cruelty, which I feel like even at the time it was being acknowledged that the Coens were going for like broad comedy and not awards. And obviously this was a pre pre no country for old men world where the Coens had still only really gotten Oscar attention for Fargo. So we weren't at the stage where like every Coens movie is an automatic Oscar like pencil it in like, you know, Buster Scruggs kind of world where like Buster Scruggs can be the third tier Netflix option and still get a screenplay nomination. Garbage. Anyway, in the cut, the Jane Campion movie, which, you know, at this point, readers, our listeners may have chosen as our fourth movie. I really kind of hope they do, because that's a very interesting movie. And at the very least, we're going to end up talking about it during that episode anyway. Yeah. The Station Agent, which was the Sundance hit of that year, which they explicitly mentioned in the write-up for The Station Agent that Miramax was looking to rebound from the Tadpole debacle, where they paid a bunch of money at... uh, (laughs) At Sundance, shout As we out to our
0: tadpole episode. We, we
1: got there, y'all. We mentioned it in our tadpole episode. So the station agent was supposed to be like the make good option for uh, tadpole, and they almost did it. It you know ultimately doesn't get any Oscar nominations, right? Nope, none. But it was a and big see, sag hit. Yes. What I will say about the station agent, in the event
0: that that is not our episode, the station agent I think is one of the examples of uh, that I would use for. With the advent of the 10 and the way that it felt like there was so much more opportunity for movies that like I think it's had some fallout in getting some smaller movies actual nominations in other categories because there's more room in best picture i think the station agent could have been that movie i think it's like if there had been the chance for them to have a real chance at best picture in like a lineup of 10 or like five to nine basically they could have gotten patricia clarkson a nomination they could have gotten that screenplay nomination
1: chris i'm gonna say stick a pin in that and we will revisit that topic radio was mentioned the cuba gooding jr movie radio which we are not going to talk about here but they when we were like go ahead or what no 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 no
0: when we were throwing out options and we were like having this discussion we were like radio and i think simultaneously we both went no absolutely not (laughs) absolutely not. not talking about radio no No. So Cuba Gooding Jr., though, at
1: EW, mentioned specifically was like trying to make a comeback as an Oscar player. (laughs) Didn't happen. Big Fish, we mentioned. House of Sand and Fog, we mentioned. 21 Grams, we mentioned for the most part. Inyari 2, follow up to Amoris Peros, which was a foreign language film nominee. And ultimately, 21 Grams is interesting because there was an acknowledgement, I think, even at the time, that like, 21 Grams is never going to be a popular hit, even though it's got movie stars in it and whatnot. The subject matter was going to be too grim. Also, Sean Penn already had Mystic River sort of like as the palatable version of whatever, you know, grim fantasy he was living out that year. And ultimately gets two acting nominations, Naomi Watts and Benicio del Toro, but is kind of reviled even at the time. And like more and more, every year that went by, more people. Talked about how much they hated Twenty One Grams because it's so grim and it's so punishing. I will say though, Twenty One Grams low key does not get enough credit for launching Melissa Leo as Mm -hmm. a awards worthy movie performer because up until then Melissa Leo was only known for being on the TV series Homicide and was great on that show. But like she was, and she was like not even like she wasn't even the Emmy bait on Homicide. Like that was Andre Brower. Melissa Leo sort of. You know, wore the androgynous looking, like, you know, jacket and tie ensembles on, on Homicide and was kind of a mid level player on that show. But that's the only thing I knew her from and got a really, a lot of really good critical attention for 21 Grams. And so then when she crops up again in a few years with Frozen River, there's a little bit of a bedrock mm-hmm. play for her. And I think that helps with her Oscar nomination in 08 for Frozen River.
0: I think her. 21 Grams performance is better than her performance that she won for.
1: Oh, for the fighter? I stick up yeah. for her in the fighter, much as I definitely think Amy Adams is head and shoulders above her in that movie, and should have won that Oscar that year. But, I think Melissa Leo, as over-the-top and kind of broad she as she is in that movie, is a lot of fun. But, you know. You know. Anyway... Yeah. Let me power through this list because I want. there's one in particular that I want to focus on. Mona Lisa Smile, we did an episode on it. The Missing, which will be our next episode. What were you going to say about Mona Lisa uh, Smile? Our first episode. Yeah, our first episode. Full silk or a moment. We should really commemorate it. Our first episode, our lovely Mona Lisa Smile episode. The Missing, which will be our next episode, so we won't get into that at all. Something's Gotta Give, which was in the write-up in this EW issue, the write-up was very, very Jack Nicholson-focused, like for a movie that ended up being all Diane Keaton. That was the only awards attention that it got. Um, Although I guess Jack did get the Globe nomination because, of course, but um, Diane ended up being... The focal point of that of that movie, which so it's interesting that EW, sexist publication that it is, um, no. But you know, it's Jack Nicholson, of course. Right, right, right. You're this gonna... is
0: also the the two thousands were very much a resurgent jack nicholson
1: oscar totally time absolutely and and that had like no receipts but like right and got something's gotta stuff, give you know, of course was like spiritual successor to movies like as good as it gets and mm-hmm. um terms of his his sort of portion of terms of endearment and guess i guess so like you know that all makes sense
0: listen in an oscar year that has mystic river house of sand and fog and 21 grams yeah i we'll will we take something's for gotta give every something's gotta give
1: true. Cold Mountain, which we discussed at length. Uh, Return of the King, which ended up winning. Master and Commander, which multiple many, many nominees. Did it get 10?
0: It was I just... thought you said 11, and I'm pretty sure 11 is correct.
1: Well, Lord of the Rings was the leader with 11. so uh, Then it must have been 10. Hold on. I will get it in two shakes of a lamb's tail. Master and Commander, 10. Yeah, 10 nominations. Wins, 2. two wins. For... Editing? What did it get? Cinematography for Russell Boyd, because weirdly Lord of the Rings did not get nominated. Let me tell you, that win
0: is like that has got to be one of the best cinematography wins since the year 2000. Some of those shots are nuts.
1: It's true. It's definitely true. Um, that's the one category where I'm just like, but Cold Mountain, because like John Seale's work in Cold Mountain actually does look very very it's beautiful. Gorgeous. beautiful. Um, and then it wins in sound editing, where it beats where It's only three nominees that year. Um, Which you would imagine if it was five nominees like it is now, Lord of the Rings would also have been nominated there. And would it have won because it was winning everything else? Maybe. But it beat out uh, Finding Nemo and Pirates of the Caribbean because... Okay, so this is interesting. Because you know my thing with sound mixing and sound editing is that sound mixing is for water and sound editing is for bullets, right? Where, like, that's sort of the the way that the voters tend to go, is that mixing, they value it's a lot of, you know, in music, heaven, they music, value music, right. They value music integration and they value a lot of these sort of like underwater sort of like, you know, sounds any movie that's very water heavy will tend to be a mixing nominee and any movie that's got a lot of like, um, what was the Andrew Garfield, Mel Gibson movie called? Uh, Hacksaw Ridge. Hex. I kept wanting to say Shutter Island. I'm like, that's not it. They're not <laughs> fighting a war. I Shutter almost said Island.
0: the Patriot for a second. I was well, like, that. But was also Heath that too. Just like you
1: know. So, uh, God, I, you know what? We don't have time for this, and yet I'm going to do it anyway. So, like recent sound editing winners are like Dunkirk, Fury Road, American Sniper, um, Zero Dark Thirty, Hurt Locker, um, Letters from Iwo Jima. Uh, Pearl Harbor, Harbor, right? Like war movies. Explosions, bullets. Explosions, bullets, bullets, whatever. And so this year is an odd little diversion of that in that all three editing nominees are very water heavy. Master and Commander, Finding Nemo, Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl. And then the mixing nominees are the ones that are a little bit more war heavy with Lord of the Rings and Last Samurai. But Last Samurai, of course, you know, samurai swords and there were also guns right in the last yeah. samurai that was the whole point yeah. is that like anyway whatever um and then the final one on this list which you know i'm going to do and chris is going to yell at me for it because he never wants to talk about this movie ever is robert altman's the company which <laughs> which is one of our potential episodes. every time i mention i'm just like hey chris I'm what like, about the company? No. and chris is like no never
0: know <laughs> that the company is on there, so that I'll be like, listen, our oh, listeners going to be so
1: crabby if you guys picked the company. If you it's guys picked the
0: much. company, I am closing our Twitter account. I am <laughs> no, I'm not doing that. But the company I fully saw in the theater on the back of Nev Campbell. Yeah, because I I still will root for Nev Campbell. Um, and that movie is is boring, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it truly is. But like because of Robert Altman, we had this whole idea that it was going to be an Oscar player. Yeah. You know, yeah.
1: So the idea basically is just that like that was the lo- that was the roster. That was the roster that the big not Oscar field was going to be chosen from. And I will say I will give credit to EW's Dave Carger because they give him a sidebar in the middle of this fall preview where they're like, hey, pick the Oscars. And he casts a very wide net. But I will say he manages to pick up Mystic River, which ends up being a picture nominee. He mentioned Seabiscuit as the preseason fave, which at this point people were kind of counting Seabiscuit out. So like good for Mm -hmm. Carger for not forgetting about that. He mentions Lord of the Rings and Master and Commander, which, like, no you know, no degree of difficulty points there. But he also mentions Lost in Translation, which was that year's sort of, like, big find. And at this point, when this issue came out, it hadn't been found yet. It had been sort of... I think that was... You know how EW at the time would be, like, early word on the movie is X, Y, and Z? And you yeah. could tell that whenever that was the case... Key that critics was, like, had
0: probably seen the movie at that point because this is probably at least being assembled and edited in august and that and movie more than premiered at telluride
1: so i think also that's when like you know that like the studios are really putting their little like spiders out and like mm-hmm. making sure that like buzz is good and there you know whisper campaigns yada yada but he mentions uh, bill murray and scarlett johansson both trying for their first nominations in Lawson in Translation. He also mentions Scarlett Johansson in Girl with a Pearl Earring. So he's got his finger on the pulse of a lot of things, but he also mentions Sylvia. He also mentions Big Fish. He mentions Veronica Guerin and The Missing when he mentions *Cape Blanchett. He brings up Mona Lisa's Smile. So like it wasn't all it wasn't all on target hits for Dave Carter, but like credit to him. He mentions all five eventual best picture nominees within his little sidebar here. So he's, you know, the industry standard for a reason. Yes. What else do we want to say in this <laughs> mini-episode that turned out to be <laughs> just as long as all our other episodes? Fancy that. Oh, we uh, wanted to do a quick little game, and again, we'll try and make this as short as possible. Um, I'm staring at our EW Fall Preview issue. Chris doesn't have it. Um, because I'm mean and I don't... I don't know. Send this to you? I don't know. We live in different cities, guys. Give us a yeah. So... Russell Crowe makes the cover in costume for Mastering Commander, but of course, as you if you remember our old EW it makes issues. total
0: sense. But I never would have guessed it. It makes right. complete sense.
1: So as you remember EW issues, there is a top little row of one two three four five six little like thumbnail photos for six other movies that are also mentioned in the fall movie preview. And I want to see if Chris can with our IMDb game rules two strikes uh, before you start getting clues. If you can guess the six movies that are up there.
0: The movies or the, like, floating heads, like the actors? Well, either one. Okay. If you get
1: the head, you'll you'll get the movie. You know what I mean? It's not like... Right, right, right. Yeah.
0: Not necessarily, because Nicole well, Kidman one, had two, but they would not have put the human stain on the cover.
1: There is it's, one movie there where it, you would have many options for what face it would be, but, like...
0: Sure. Cause that's probably Lord of the Rings,
1: right? So who do you think the face is?
0: The face of Lord of the Rings. Uh, I mean, it's got to be Viggo Mortensen, right? At that it time, it is not. It is not. Oh damn! Well, I mean, like he, they kind of made him the face of the movie at that time. They like, did. He got the biggest head on the poster. Was it Liv Tyler?
1: Nope.
0: Was it Elijah Wood?
1: It was Orlando Bloom.
0: Oh, Jesus Christ. I always forget that that's even Orlando Bloom in I movies.
1: was... Okay, talk about what I was doing in 2003. I was mooning over Orlando Bloom as Legolas in Lord of the Rings. Like, that was <laughs> fully my life at that point. I was so into that man in that role, for sure. I'm normally, like, good with this type of thing, but, like,
0: it took me, I think, until the second, maybe third movie to equate that that was the same actor as his other movies Well, because, what were his
1: other uh, movies at that point. Cause Elizabethtown I wasn't forget. until
0: no. Um, but like he was around like as a celebrity, Black Hawk Down, I guess, but he yeah. was a
1: celebrity because of this movie. Like it's not like right, he had existed right. as anything before these it's movies. It's so bizarre. It's
0: still bizarre to me that he got famous from Lord of the Rings because he doesn't look like himself in those movies. He's like a non-factor. I guess people just think he's the hot blonde guy. How
1: dare you? He, uh, brought that elephant down in the third movie so oh, suck my dick. Um.
0: <laughs> anyway um, okay anyway others. i'm guessing guess. the rest of these movies how many do i have to guess besides lord of the rings five more okay five more um cold mountain definitely yes. there yep was nicole kidman the face of cold mountain yes Okay, then Tom Cruise is there for The Last Samurai yes, because this absolutely. is also the era where people were obsessed with their divorce and yep. being like, oh, they have to be in the same room together. Yeah. Um,
1: yep. Also, Tom Cruise for no reason name drops Penelope Cruz during his uh, during the Last Samurai preview that they mentioned. Where like they talked to Tom Cruise about it and he managed to be like, Penelope really likes it, and it's just like, Jesus, Tom, we get it, you're dating. <laughs> Alright, okay. I will say of the four remain of the three remaining ones, only one of them was Oscar buzzed. Two of them were uh family movies that they thought were gonna make a lot of money. And okay, didn't. then
0: definitely I know what one of these are. I only know that this is there because I was looking up the box office for the missing, our first episode, and this this movie beat the missing. It's the cat in the hat.
1: Cat in the hat. Which that doesn't say much that like the cat in the hat beat you. Because like the cat in the hat was A disaster. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is the other family
0: movie...
1: This um, one was a true bomb. Was a true disaster. Oh, it was a bomb. Kind of didn't kill this guy's career, but, like, really limited the kinds of movies, the kinds of movies we thought we
0: wanted from this guy. See, my guess was gonna be Elf, because this is the Elf year, right? This is the Elf year.
1: Elf Elf was a huge success. Yes. Um... No, this was... Elf. This... Elf was a little bit under the radar. This was over the radar.
0: Okay. Bomb. Ooh. I'm not going to get this just yet. You said the other one was an Oscar buzzed movie. Yes.
1: Yeah. So okay. of the ones that we were, I was just listing, it's one of them. So...
0: I mean, what would have been on the cover? It's not going to be, like, The Missing, because Cate Blanchett wasn't on those type of covers yet. It would have been... Would it have been Julia Roberts for
1: Mona Lisa Smile? Yeah, it's Julia Roberts for Mona Lisa Smile. Very good. Well done. Fantastic. Yeah.
0: Um, Because didn't they also get... Did they get the holiday movie cover for Mona Lisa Smile? I don't know. I remember... All of the poster actresses, minus Jennifer Goodwin, had their own cover. Interesting. Um, okay, give me... Give, well, I guess I haven't guessed them um, wrong enough yet. Ooh, a family... So, this, this
1: bomb, I will say, after this movie, up until this movie, he had been coming off of a $100 million movie that was also not really well, uh, well regarded, but whatever. Um, and then after this movie he was relegated to essentially animated his one big, well-received animated role and a type of comedy that was looked out upon. Is it relegated to an animated role? Is the one he had played this animated role already once and he would return to it. For three more sequels. Oh. Is it. It can't be
0: Mike Myers because I already said Cat in the Hat. Well, Is it Eddie Murphy?
1: It, yes, it's Eddie Murphy. So, what was what the Eddie, Eddie Murphy, Murphy bomb of 03? And by bomb, I mean. All
0: eights. of Eddie Murphy's bombs blur together unless yeah. they're Pluto Nash and.
1: Uh, and Pluto Nash was a summer movie. It wasn't a bomb like Pluto Nash. This made $75 million, but like off of a giant budget and. Right, was it the haunted mansion? it was the haunted mansion? Why, Why do I think that that was older than that? It wasn't It was the haunted mansion
0: Weird so yeah,
1: so your top your top sidebar, Lord of the Rings, Mona Lisa Smile, the Haunted Mansion, Cold Mountain, the Cat in the Hat, the Last Samurai. You try watching all six of those movies in one sitting and see what happens to you <laughs> Alright, anything else to say about our, again, mini-episode on setting the table for 2003? I'm excited to for the listeners to to listen to these episodes. I think we can tell kind of a little bit of a comprehensive story about the year and about why it's notable for, again, a whole bunch of buzzy failures, which then cleared the way for some kind of interesting nominees, I think. Even if the winners that year feel a little schematic, because, as we'll mention, like everybody won the same awards that year. Yes, yes. yes. So what else? All right, that's it. I know. Th- f- I think that's it. Let's get into
0: the missing very right.
1: soon. We'll talk to you talk we'll to you soon about week. the missing. Yes.
0: All right. That's our episode. If you want more this had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at this had oscarbuzz.tumbler.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Joe, please tell our listeners where they can find you and your stuff.
1: Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Joe Reed. Reed is spelled R-E-I-D. I'm at letterbox I'm at letterbox, not at letterbox. I don't know what New England state I think I'm, I'm in that I'm at <laughs> I am at, boxed at uh, Joe Reed Reed again. R-E-I-D. And
0: I am on the Twitter at ChrisVFile, that's F-E-I-L. Same name on Letterboxd. I also keep our, this at Buzz list there with direct links to our episodes and IMDb game stats. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Uh, Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts. A five star review in particular really helps us out with iTunes visibility. So please make the weather so we can stand in the rain and say, Yay, it's raining. Uh, that's all for uh, at least this little mini episode. We'll be back. I'm, I'm going to jail. I'm sending
1: you to prison for the rest of the day. I'm going to
0: uh, Civil War era prison. Um, but that's all for this little uh, finger quotes mini episode. Yeah. And we will be back later this week with more buzz. We'll rise above.
1: The scarlet tide that trickles down through the mountain and separates the wind.